welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Welcome in, everybody. How's it going? Glad that you're with us this morning. Front row and all. Nice. I like it. Front row. Full right here. Front row is half full there, so we need to, need to work on that. Got some $50 seats right here available if anybody would like them. Uh, if you're watching, yeah, the ghost is in the room next, next to row. Yeah, okay. I can see it. Uh, welcome in. If you're watching from home, we're glad that you're with us or wherever you're watching from. Uh, welcome into City Chapel. Um, yeah, uh, if, if you're new today uh, and you're here in the building, we have a card right there at your seat. It's called a connection card. Um, please take that out and just fill that out. After service, you can drop it off in one of these red boxes that are on the wall. Um, we'd love to hear from you. And if you're not new, um, there's also a spot for prayer requests there. So if you're, going, if you're going through something, if you need some prayer, please check off. Um, those boxes and just fill that out for us. There's a pen there at your seat. If you're watching from home, uh, you can go to citychapelchurch.com and do the exact same thing. Or you can text uh, the word new um, to 512-960-1617. And that'll, that'll get you connected um, with, with what we're doing here at City Chapel. And we'd love for you to be a part of the life change that is happening and the joy that is coming to, to people as they get closer to God. And that's really, um, that's really what we are. We recently had a, a newcomer's meal, and that's when we invite all the new people to come have a lunch with Ro and I. And um, one of the new girls was saying, I thought it was pretty cool, she said that she um, likes City Chapel because it seems like pretty much everybody wants to get closer to God here. <laughs> and I said, oh, what a novel idea. That's so interesting. That's so lovely. Um, and it is true. Uh, hopefully that's our church. Pretty much everybody's here because they want more of God. And so uh, if that's you, if you're looking for more, if you're discontent with where you're at, with what you've had, you're in the right place. And uh, we want to welcome you today. Um, also, let's have a time of giving. Um, and the way we used to pass buckets, um, but now with COVID, we don't do that. So uh, there's a card at your seat. You can scan that with your phone or you can use your phone to text any amount, dollar amount to 84321. Um, if you are old school and you have checks and cash, you can drop those off in the red boxes at the end of service. That's, that's okay too. Um, that stuff still works, but uh, most of us will text any amount to 84321 and it'll set up a giving uh, platform form for you. Uh, you'll select City Chapel at Slaughter Creek and uh, you'll be off and away laughing. Um, a couple announcements that we have. I don't know. That's what Rose says. Off and away laughing. I think it's a New Zealand thing. Um, <laughs> a couple of announcements. Uh, today is September 26th. So in two weeks, uh, we're having a man day. Uh, in two weeks, we are having a man. What was that? What? Oh, family camp. Ah, ain't nobody got time for that. We have a man day. We have a, 
Uh, I mean, we are having a family camp as well. I'll just throw that out there. I like. I guess we could show that slide if the slide people really want that one. Um, but uh, I was going to talk about mandate because I'm a little more excited because we're going to have some steak. We're going to have. We're going to shoot some airsoft at each other. Um, it's going to be fun. We're going to meet out at David and Crystal's farm. So it's October 10th um, at David and Crystal's. And so if you're interested, uh, you can text uh, the word the words mandate. Text mandate actually to that number. 512-960-1617 if you guys want to put that up text Manday to that and um, we'll be sure to send you a reminder on the day before because life gets busy um, you won't miss the Cowboys game we're going to do it after the Cowboys game so you don't have to worry about that um, you know we wouldn't dare interrupt we, did, we didn't want to interrupt Zeke Elliott and, and, and all the, the and how he's going to watch Tony Pollard run all over the field That's, we wouldn't want to interrupt that so um, anyway, uh, no man day, uh, have some meat with us, come, come uh, shoot each other and um, <laughs> it'll, be, it'll, be, it'll be a good time. Um, but we do also have a family camp, so that's true. And that's coming up actually, is that uh, next, it's uh, October 8th. So it's just before man day, it's the same weekend. Um, so um, yeah, this, this is gonna be Friday night and just till Saturday. So if you're interested in joining our family camp, you can text the word camp to 512-960-1617 and we will send you a reminder on uh, the day before just so that you don't forget. You do have to bring your own tent. We're going to be at Camp Ben in, out in Driftwood. Got to bring your own tent, bring your own sleeping bag, uh, blow up mattress, RV, food, like all that kind of like, Yeah, think about all that kind of They don't have McDonald's at Camp Ben. So just FYI, but there is Salt Lake nearby, which is where I will be. Uh, if anybody is interested, you can meet me, meet me where the Lord is. And uh, when you smell the barbecue, that's where the Lord, that's where he dwells. And so um, anyway, but now we're going to have uh, a cool family. To, I don't even know who that family is, but anyway, we're going to have a good family. To, they're, stare, they're staring at me and I'm like, ah, it's kind of weird. Uh, anyway. Uh, <laughs> We do, we do have prettier people than that. I don't know who those models are. They don't, they don't, they don't know what's going on. Um, if you have a Bible, open it up to 1 John. Let's get into the Word today. Anybody ready to jump into the Word of God? Yeah, yeah, some folks are ready. I like it. 1 John chapter 5. Let me see uh, what kind of time I got. Um, I want to I wanna leave some time afterward just to be able to, to let the Holy Spirit just process and work with us a little bit. Um, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. We're only, only doing one verse today. And um, I, do, I do actually have, I do have one prop. Uh, that I need to grab here. I had it back here for safekeeping, so I'm going to set it over here just now. It's some dangerous stuff, but we'll get into that here in a second. But First John um, chapter 5, verse 13 says, uh, I write these things to you. What things? The things that he's been uh, writing throughout all of First John. So we've gone through over the last almost year, we've gone through chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4, and most of chapter 5, and now he's wrapping up his epistle, and he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Anybody here believe in the name of the Son of God? Anybody trusting in the name of the Son of God for their salvation? Uh, if you are, you're in good company. If you're not, you're in good company. Uh, my prayer for you is that if you're not, if you're watching from home or you're here in the room and you've never fully believed in the name of the Son of God, 
uh, in Jesus' name, then my prayer is that by the end of today, over the next few minutes, that you will believe in the name of the Son of God, that you will trust him for your salvation. And John says, I write these things to you that believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know. I like that. So that you may know that you have eternal life. God, the Holy Spirit, God wants you to know that you have eternal life. And I know some of us came from certain religious backgrounds where we're always wondering about that. (laughs) And I just want you to know that you can know that you have eternal life. The word know there, it's not the typical word for knowledge. It's not gnosko, which is to understand something. It's, it's, It's actually the word for seeing or for looking or for finding or observing. So John isn't saying, I want you to understand that you have eternal life. He's saying, I want you to look at your life and I want you to say, hey, there it is. <laughs> well, there it is. Like he, that's what he wants. I'm just saying. No, no, we're going to go there. No, no, he wants you to examine your life and say, look at what I, I have, eternal life. I see it. I see that it is in my possession. I see that I have eternal life. You can know. You can be absolute certain. You can have certainty. Would you, would you touch somebody and tell them you can know? I mean, you can know. Yeah, there you go. You can, you, <laughs> you can. I was wondering who Poppy was touching. That's, that, that's your grandson, everybody, just so you know. Like, they are related. They are related. I'm just, I'm just letting everybody know online. She's loving on her grandson. It's all good. Yeah. <laughs> You can, you can know. Now, 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 Poppy, turn to somebody else and just be more, more general and let them know you can know. This, this, the, the person you had just ignored, let them know that you can, like the Holy Spirit. And I, my prayer for you is over the next few minutes that we spend together, that you would walk out of here or tune out of here, whatever it is, with, with a fresh revelation of what you have. This is what he's saying. I'm writing to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. And so if you don't believe in the name of the Son of God, I'm praying that in the next few minutes, you will believe in the name of the Son of God and then you will know. And if you have believed, and maybe you've struggled with that belief, I'm praying that over the next few minutes, you will say that you know, I know that I have eternal life. Uh, I came across an article this week from the, the Harvard Business Review. Um, the title really caught my eye because of what I'm, I'm studying and what I'm praying about. Uh, the title of it uh, was, Our Brains Were Not Built for This Much Uncertainty. <laughs> um, I like that because, you know, we're in, I don't know if we're in the middle of a pandemic or toward the end or if it's over or if it's just started. I'm not sure. But I know the last year and a half has been filled with uncertainty, a lot of uncertainty. It doesn't matter if you're leading a church, um, leading a country, leading a family, if you're in charge, leading a classroom, if you're in charge of like even just yourself, <laughs> should I be vaccinated? Should I not be vaccinated? Should I keep six feet or is it three feet? Uh, like, I mean, so many questions. Should I go to that party? Should I be a part of that family dynamic? Should I, I mean, so many things, so much uncertainty. And I kind of like the, these authors from the Harvard business, but they're kind of smart people. They said, our brains were not built for this much uncertainty. And so just as I was reading about that, uh, they say this, and I just want to pull out a little excerpt. They say, given that habits and recognizable patterns are kind of its thing, the brain 
they say evolved, I would say was created to be uncertainty averse. I like that phrase, uncertainty averse. That means averse to uncertainty. Like you and I don't like it. Our brains don't like uncertainty because over, you know, the past 5,000 years of human existence, we've had to analyze things and, and, and make, make complex patterns into simple realities for our safety. And so we like being able to wrap our head around it, as we say. We like being able to figure it out. We, that, that, that's actually a part of, of what makes us feel safe. And so what, what he's talking about here is that, that the brain uh, was created to be uncertainty averse. When things become less predictable and therefore less controllable, we experience a strong state of threat. Now, you may already know, he says, that threat leads to fight, freeze, or flight responses in the brain, right? But you may not know, and I thought this was interesting, that it also leads to decreases in the following, in motivation. Anybody experience over the past year and a half a decrease in motivation? I, I mean, you didn't have to say so, but that's cool. I mean, that's fine, all right? Uh, not a decrease in honesty, so I'm thankful for that, City Chapels. Keeping it real, we're keeping it real. A decrease in motivation, a decrease in focus, a decrease in mental agility. I like this one, this is definitely true. A decrease in cooperative behavior. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Have you been on Facebook lately? There's a decrease in cooperative behavior, a decrease in self-control, a decrease in a sense of purpose and meaning and an overall decrease in sense of well-being. And as I read that, man, I thought, wow, that is, definitely, that is definitely our world. But John, into that world, says, I write these things so that you may know. Touch somebody again, tell them, you can know, bro. You can add that if you want. You can add the bro, if you want to sound extra cool. <laughs> Just kidding, it doesn't make you sound cool. This makes it sound weird but it's all good. No, you can, you can know. And so as I was reading the article, um, they, were, they were listing some things that you can do about this, about this level of uncertainty. And one of the things I thought was really in line with what John actually is doing is they say you, you, can, you can get a bigger perspective, that you, you should not get caught up in the minutia of your life, the fine details, but rather you should see how those fine details relate to what they call the bigger picture. Um, and so they talked about voting, right? Voting is checking a box or voting is participating in democracy. That's the bigger picture. So you find how the little things that you're doing, everyday things that you do in life, how it relates to the bigger picture of your life. In fact, I was talking to Bailey and Ryan, and Ryan just Friday night about the bigger picture of my life and the bigger picture of their lives. And, and it's good in times of uncertainty it's good to, to zoom out, to pull back a little bit and say, okay, so, so where exactly, why exactly am I here? What exactly is going on in the bigger picture? Well, what could be bigger picture than I write these things that you may know you have eternal life? I would suggest to you that there is no bigger picture than what happens after you die. 
There is no bigger picture than eternity. The biggest picture of your life is, where will I spend eternity? Therefore, John says, I write these things so that you may have absolute certainty about the biggest picture. Now, he doesn't say, I write these things so that you will know that your job is secure. I write these things so that you will know whether or not you're going to catch COVID-19 or not. I write these things so that you may know how you'll react to the vaccine after you get it. Like All of the uncertainty about life, he, he's not going into the minutiae. He's zooming out and he's saying, look, I write these things so that you may be absolutely certain about the number one most important thing to be absolutely certain about. And that is that you have eternal life. You can know, you can be certain. And so as, as, I, as I prepared this message, I thought, man, what is the number one thing that blocks Christians from certainty? What's the thing that steals our certainty? What's the thing that robs it? Why do we have it sometimes and not have it at other times? And I, and I feel like there's, there's a few things, obviously, but because I'm keeping this a little bit short, I'm going to give you one thing. The biggest thing that robs, robs us of certainty is sin. Sin steals certainty. One of the biggest reasons why we are uncertain is because we, we desire, Rowan and I were talking about this, we desire certainty without obedience. We want to be assured of salvation while continuing to go about our life in the way that we would like to go about our lives. And it creates this great uncertainty because it's literally impossible to have certainty with sin. And so, uh, what do you do if you sin? What do you do? When, when you're laying awake at night trying to figure out if you've done enough good things to get into heaven. What do you do? What do you do with sin? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> John says, I write these things. Man, you, you look at the things he's been writing. It's, it's all about sin. Chapter one is all about walking in the light as he is in the light. And if we don't, we don't have fellowship with him. And then, and then chapter two is about how Christ is our atonement. Atonement deals with sin. We trust in him to take away our sins, to remove our sins, right? And as he walks through each and every chapter, it's a different aspect of how sin has been ravaging our lives and how God wants to save us from these things, from sin, from disobedience. Well, there's a guy in the Bible who had a beautiful relationship with God. He had a powerful, probably the best relationship of God of anybody in his entire generation or Several generations. In fact, God said of him that he was a man after God's own heart. A man named David. David killed Goliath uh, with the power of God. David did wonderful things through the power of God. You read through the Psalms and you see the intimacy that David had with God. And yet, David also sinned big time. He committed adultery with, with a, a lady named Bathsheba and got her pregnant and then he arranged for her husband to be killed in order to marry her to try to cover up the pregnancy hoping people wouldn't be that good with math on the dates of the birth of the baby and he thought he got away with it like, nobody nobody caught him nobody said anything nobody acted differently it seemed like he had just married it because he had several wives and so okay he just marries this new wife and, and 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 it didn't seem like anything had happened until one day Nathan came and confronted him Nathan was the prophet God spoke Nathan didn't know God spoke to Nathan and told Nathan what David had done and Nathan comes to David and he and he gives him a sermon gives him a parable a story that 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 helps David recognize because he, he, the sinfulness of what he had done because what we tend to do is justify ourselves 
That's very natural. And so he was feeling, he's still going to church. He's feeling justified. He's still writing Psalms. He's feeling justified. He's still going about his, his duty, his life. He's doing his life. He's doing his thing and he feels justified until God convicts him. And so thank God for the Nathans in our life, right? Thank God for the Holy Spirit that at times pops up and says, hey, that's not right. And starts making us feel bad. Sometimes the best thing, the most loving thing God can do is make you feel bad. I'm just saying. Uh, it's not always gumdrops and rainbows. Sometimes you need somebody to come by. It's just a little, just, just some, some, some direction for your life. To say, look, this is not right. And, and David realized it and he repented of it. And uh, in Psalm 51, actually, Psalm 51 is his psalm of repentance, his song of repentance. It starts off with the words, and it's not going to be on the screen, but it starts off with the words, this is the psalm that David wrote after Nathan had visited him, um, after he had, had uh, committed adultery with Bathsheba. That's the title, like the title of the psalm. That's true repentance when you can when you can write a worship song with that title. <laughs> it's, it's not it's not exactly waymaker, but it's you know it's it's true re, a true repentant kind of song because he's saying, look, I was wrong, and even though all of Israel didn't even know what I had done, I am now willing to expose myself and to say what I had done, to come forward with it, and to write a song for us to sing in church about it. Because the Holy Spirit was still working, right? Even when you can see it, the Holy Spirit is still working on him. And so he, he, he has this, this sin that he has done and he loses his certainty. He loses his, his reliance on God. And we know this because, um, yeah, I'm going to read verses 7 and 10 and 11 and 12. But, but before verse 7, he says that, that, that his sin is ever before him. Like, even though other people didn't know he had done it, he knew he had done it, and he woke up every morning with it in his face. <laughs> and he went to bed every night with it on his mind. And the guilt and the shame was ever before him. No matter how much he worshipped, no matter how much he, he exercised his different rights, and he got busy, he tried to squelch it with busyness, and it didn't work. He tried to squelch it with, with, with popularity, it didn't work. He tried to squelch it with wealth, and it didn't work. His sin was ever before him. And why? Because he had lost his confidence in God. He had lost his confidence in where he stood with God. He was now guilty in his brain, his mind was telling him he was guilty over and over and over and over again. And so this is the great rob, the great robber of security is sin. Why? Because, well, you literally are not right with God. And, and your own self will condemn yourself. In fact, he, he talks about how God is righteous in his judgment and in his verdict. That it's true. He, he can't be certain about his eternal destiny because of what he has done. And so I guess, I guess the, the question is, what do you do when you have sinned? What do you do when you've lost your certainty? Which brings me to the title of today's message. This is really what I want to talk to you about is heaven's prescription uh, for an anxious heart. I want to talk to you about heaven's prescription for an anxious heart, for an uncertain heart. Now you could arrive at uncertainty through sin, but you can also arrive through other ways also. And I believe that heaven has a prescription for us. He, uh, the, great, the great physician, the great doctor, he's got some, some, uh, some medical supplies to help us out. And uh, we see this in Psalm 51. So if we can go to verse 7, Psalm 51, verse 7. 
David gives us the prescription. He says, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. That would be with water. Uh, Create in me, he says, a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast or a faithful spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. So there, over the past few weeks, I've been talking about the three witnesses. So you might notice the blood, the water, and the spirit within the prescription. So there's three things that God prescribes for an anxious heart, for an unsettled heart, for a heavy heart, for an uncertain heart. And the first thing is he says, cleanse me or purge me, King James says, with hyssop. Purge or cleanse is deeper than washing. It's a scrubbing. And, and so he says, like, do, do a full a full detail, a waxing, a buffing, a really getting, breaking down all of the junk that is on my life. Cleanse me, uh, scrub me, wash me in a deep level, deep clean me, (laughs) deep clean me with hyssop. Now hyssop is, uh, it's interesting because hyssop is a plant. Hyssop is like a flower. It's a Middle Eastern flower. I think that looks kind of like a poppy sort of I'm not really great on flowers but poppy came to my mind I don't know why Um, but it's like it's like it's found in the Middle East and it's used in scripture five different times in the Old Testament it's super important in all of those instances Um, it's also used once in the New Testament it's very important but but really really what I just want to look at is the way in which David is using it here he says he says cleanse me or purge me with hyssop and I will be clean Um, it seems to me that he's referencing an Old Testament practice found in Leviticus chapter 14. So I'm not going to read it, but Leviticus 14 is God's prescription for people that um, come down with a disease. So if you came down with a disease, usually leprosy was a pretty common disease in those days. Um, Could be COVID-19, I don't know. But when you come down with a disease, 4,500 years ago, we didn't have the... uh, the, 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 the medical knowledge that we have now. And so God's solution for people that had a disease is they needed to leave the community. They needed to, to camp outside of the community, right? God invented social distancing. And so he said, you need to get out of here because they had no other way. They had no other way of treating it. And so God said, look, if you have a disease, make sure you, 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 get, you move out of your family, move out of your home and live outside the camp. Get a tent, do some camping, live outside the tent and wait for the disease to run its course. Wait for the disease, hopefully, to be healed. And in Leviticus 14, God gives his commandment for when you believe that the disease has been healed. So you've been living outside the camp, which means you're not allowed to go in. Now, people could bring you food, bring food out to you, but they couldn't touch you because you were ceremonially unclean. So they could bring you food, you couldn't go get food, and you couldn't, most of all, you couldn't, you couldn't spend time with your family, and you could not go to church, which primarily, the big problem with that means you couldn't offer sacrifices for your sins. You say, why, why, why would God do that just for a physical disease? Because the Old Testament is preaching about the new. And so God is teaching his people about another disease called sin. And David is so perceptive that he realizes that. He says, look, I don't have COVID, but I have something worse. I have the disease of sin. 
I think it's verses five and six, he talks about how he's had that disease since he was born. He was born with this terminal illness of sin. And he can't, he can't get rid of it. He can't, he, can't, he can't do anything about it. It's in his body. It's in his mind. It's in his very nature. And it has sprung up and it's, and, it's, and it's bubbled over and caused him to destroy his family and caused him to destroy another family and murder somebody. It's caused him to take away the innocence of this woman. It's, caught, like, it's causing so much havoc and damage in his life. And he says, look, I have this disease. And so in Leviticus 14, God gives a prescription for people who had a disease and they're outside the camp. They've been cut off from God, cut off from community, cut off from fellowship with God and forgiveness of sin. There's a way to get back. And the first way to get back is you go show yourself to the priest. And so the priest would identify, would examine, uh, say if you had leprosy, he would examine your body to see if there's any more leprous spots on you. If you had COVID, I, COVID, I guess he would see if you're coughing or if you have any fever. He's checking for symptoms. And if you're symptom free, then at that point, he does this particular ceremony. And so this ceremony is what I want to talk to you about today. The ceremony for the prescription for coming back into fellowship with God and with others. Uh, the ceremony started off with hyssop. So the priest would take hyssop, and I don't, I, don't, I don't have hyssop because I don't live in the Middle East. But I do live in Texas, so I grabbed this from my, from my driveway today. It was, uh, it was not the biggest one. It was a, I thought it was a good size one, though. And so, this, I don't know, maybe this is sort of like hyssop. So he would, take, he would take a little branch of hyssop, and then he would take some, some, some animal blood, uh, blood of a sacrificed animal. So I just want to thank Madden's cat for contributing to my um, sermon example today. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. That's going to, animal sacrifices next week. I'm just, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> Madden's here, so I thought it'd be funny. But anyway, uh, no, <laughs> she, she's not laughing. Um, Madden's cat is a bugger, though. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, if she went missing and we had a sermon example the next day, I don't know. Um, so, no, they would, they would take the blood, but they would literally, they would, they would kill an animal. Why? Because an innocent animal would have to die for this person to come back into fellowship. It's so important. And so they would slit the throat of the animal and they would drain its blood there. And then they would, they would take the blood and they would, they, would, they would take the hyssop and they would dip it in the blood and then they would, they would sprinkle it or, or splash it on the person. Put the blood on the person, the blood of the innocent animal onto the person. This was the first step to coming back into fellowship, to coming back into community. And this is what David said. This is, this is God's first uh, prescription for you. If you have an anxious heart, you need to apply, liberally apply, the blood. I would suggest daily. <laughs> daily application. Apply the blood. When, when you're up at night wondering if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds apply the blood. When you've, when you've fallen into the same temptation that you've fallen into several other times and you're not sure if you can, if you can, if you can repent again, reach for the blood. When you're full of doubt, <laughs> reach for the blood. When you're, un, when you're living with more uncertainty than your brain was built to handle, reach for the blood. When you're depressed, 
When you think that, that life might be, that everyone might be better off without you, you need to reach for the blood. Because the blood speaks something different than, than what your mind is telling you. The blood does a cleansing work. It gets rid of, it gets rid of this disease. See, when you have a disease, you can't just stop having a disease. Which is why it's, it's frustrating to me that it seems like every tragedy, that every national tragedy, or heck, worldly tragedy, like Afghanistan, right? So, like some tragedy is happening. And some knucklehead will get on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram and be like, we need to be better. We need to do better. We need to be kinder. It's like they find some way to shame themselves based on everything that's going wrong. Some girl will go missing and all of a sudden we all need to do better. And I don't know, I've been living for 41 years and I, so far I've never seen anybody witness a national tragedy and then change their life. Just never seen it. I've never seen somebody watch the news and be like, I am going to be better. No, actually the opposite happens for people that fill their mind with all this negativity and nonsense. This shame starts being heaped up on their minds and oh my goodness, yeah, I do need to do better. Oh, I do need to be kinder. Oh my gosh. Like, like, like if you have COVID-19 and somebody says, stop sneezing, stop coughing, stop having this fever, it's ridiculous. You can't just stop having the symptoms. When you have the disease, you, you can't just say, okay, fine, I'm going to be kind. When you are not kind in here, when you're not kind in here, you're not going to be kind out here no matter how hard you try. There's no such thing as a good human. There's only blood-covered humans and diseased humans who have the disease of sin. And you can't expect somebody who has COVID-19 to stop coughing. They're going to cough because they have COVID. It's going to affect the respiratory system. It's going to affect everything. And it, it, you can't just stop that. David said, look, I had a disease called sin. I couldn't get out of it. I couldn't stop it. I couldn't, no matter how much I shamed myself, no matter how much somebody told me I should do better for the, for the poor widows of, uh, of, of Israel. Yeah, I should do better. But I cannot do better or be better on my own. You can't do it. There's no self-righteousness here. What's beautiful about the way that David sees himself, he sees himself as incapable of healing himself. And so he says, purge me or wash me with the blood. Allow the blood to be applied to my, to my body. See, like what, what happens is somebody is, is they're, they're, they're cut off from the community and they want to come back in. And they say, okay, the first thing you have to do is you have to pass under the blood. The first thing you have to do is we have to, we have to put some blood on you. And so, I don't know, I just thought maybe it would be a good illustration if I, if I just, just, just to, to let you know. Because what, what happens is we, we get these, these biblical things and we don't really think about it. And so, what the priest would do is he dips this in the blood, make sure it's all nice and, and bloody. Let's put it out here so you all can see it. All nice and bloody. Yeah, and like there's, there's my shirt and there's my life. And so it's, it's, all, it's all nice and bloody. And then, and then he grabs it and just puts it on, on the person. And just starts smearing it. And it's running down. And it's making his shirt look nasty. And actually, they would, they would put it on your head. Actually, actually, it really, it really would be a good idea 
it would be a good idea because, because the enemy attacks you right here. And so it would be a good idea if you could, if you could look at your memories through the blood. It'd be a great idea if you could remember your mistakes with the perspective of the blood. And by the blood, I mean the blood of Jesus. See, what, what happens, babe, I don't know if we're going out to eat after this, but I walk into Mod Pizza. I walk into Mod Pizza like this, and someone's going to say, what, what are they going to say? They're going to say, what happened? <laughs> and, I'll, and, and I'll have to say, no, 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 no this, isn't, this isn't my blood. Because it looks like I've been cut. It looks like somebody like, you know, I don't know, I picked a pimple or something on my chest. Like, it looks, it looks like something, something happened to me. And it is true that something happened to someone. This isn't my blood, though. I didn't hurt for this. I didn't sacrifice for this. I didn't bleed. This is somebody else's blood. And so the man who comes from lack of fellowship into fellowship must wear the mark of somebody else's sacrifice. I didn't pick myself up by my bootstraps and decide to be better. That's not how I got here. I received the sacrifice, the selfless death of the righteous son of God who stood in my place, took my shame, took my sin, and now offered me freedom, welcomed, welcomed me in as a son of God into, into his kingdom. And I, I, I have no place there. So I, I, didn't, I didn't do this. I'm not bleeding. Somebody else was bleeding. I'm receiving. I'm getting the benefits of somebody else's sacrifice that Jesus died for me. This is the gospel that, that God died for sinners of whom I am chief, right? Is what Paul said. Like this is the good news that I'm covered in blood and it's not mine. I'm covered in, in this blood which signifies righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, and it's not mine. That he purchased and he redeemed me from the pit with his own body, that he, as the sacrificial priest, actually, the sacrifice and the priest, offered up himself in order, to, in order for the priest to come find me and to apply it to my life. For him to apply this was costly. To him, it wasn't costly to me, it was costly to him. And so when I receive his blood, what I'm saying is there's somebody else's sacrifice. Actually, part of the ceremony is really interesting. They would have two birds and you would have one bird and you would kill that bird and you would pour that bird's blood into a bowl and you would take the other bird that you didn't kill and you would dip that bird in the blood and then you would release that bird. Because freedom comes at a cost. And yet, just because you're free doesn't mean you just fly away and forget about it. God says, no, I want to mark you with my blood. I want you to, everywhere you go, I want people to say, you're different. Something's different about you. How did that happen? How did, what, what has happened to you? What's going on? You don't talk the way you used to. You don't think the way you used to. You're not as fun as you used to be. Like, what has changed about you? Anyone who is sprinkled with the blood is marked with the blood. And they are set apart and there's something different about them. Because normally you wouldn't, you wouldn't see somebody like this. Normally you wouldn't see somebody like this unless they, they were in trouble. I was in trouble. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see I had a disease I could not cure. And God gave his son for me and he died. 
And his blood was forgiving, but it was also empowering. It brought me in to fellowship. It brought me in to back, back into relationship with others. It brought me into forgiveness of sins. It brought me into connection with him. And so I apply the blood. Apply the blood daily. Apply it liberally. Put it on your head so that your memory is, is, is only, you're remembering things through the lens of the blood. Put it on your eyes so you see others through the blood of Jesus. Put it on your feet so that, so that your, your, your journey, so that your life is covered in the blood. Put it on any sickness that you have. Put on any area of sickness in your life because it is by his stripes that we are healed. It is not by our own strength or even our own faith. Our own faith doesn't do it. The blood of Jesus does it. And by faith, we access the blood. We apply it. Secondly, you have to wash in the water. And that's, and that's an interesting concept. Uh, there's obviously a lot to water that I talked about last week, but, um, or two weeks ago. But, but, but what I, what I want point to point out about this particular ceremony is that before you would wash in the water, you would, you would have to shave all of the hair off of your body. <laughs> and then God, and, yeah, yeah, Jonathan, they got to shave it all off. I mean, all the armpit hair, everything. And, and actually, God even specifies your beard, your hair, and your eyebrows. He specifies the eyebrows, which really weirded me out. I was going to give a, a visual demonstration, do some shaving, but then I was like, I don't know how long my eyebrows will grow back. Like, this might take a while. But, but God is like, why would you do that? Well, Dave, David says, when you wash me, I'll be whiter than snow. <laughs> Literally, he's going to look like a thumb, you know what I'm saying? Like, he's just going to be completely smooth. <laughs> and I guess this is good for certain diseases. Maybe you could be retained, germs could be retained in hair follicles, I suppose. Um, but I think it's also that basically it's like being a baby. Except some of y'all's babies had a bunch of hair on their head. But when I came out, it was just nothing here, nothing here, nothing here, just no hair. And I think that's, that's part of what's going on. God's saying you have to shave everything because this bath is different. This isn't just a regular bath. This is a new birth. This is a new you. God is remaking you. He's welcoming you into his family. And so I'm thankful for everybody that takes, takes a new kind of bath. Uh, in City Chapel, we want to, we, and if you haven't been water baptized, man, we want, we want to help you be water baptized. We want to talk to you about water baptism. We believe it's important. So you have to be, you have to apply the blood. You have to take a bath <laughs> and the bath, the water is the word. And so if you have an anxious heart, you need to get in the word. You need to wash yourself in the word which is the Bible. You need to read the Bible. And I don't mean you need to read Leviticus. That might just be confusing for you if you've never read it, okay? It's kind of cool for me, but if you've never read it, you know, read First John. Get in the Word. Get in something that you understand, something that makes sense to you, that the Holy Spirit can speak to you and illuminate your mind and help you and help you because your anxious heart has really bad perspective and the Word of God pulls you back and lets you see the way that God sees. So get in the word, apply the blood, take a dose of the word. Um, I guess it's not orally, it's kind of just in your ear. You stick it in there through your eyes. It's visually, uh, receive the word. And then finally he says, uh, if, if we can go to the last bit, he says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. In other words, receive the spirit of God. And this is what would happen in the ceremony. So you would be sprinkled with the blood. You'd look like a mess. 
and then you would be all your hair would be shaved off and they would they would wash you in water and then the last thing they would do is they would take oil and put oil on on each earlobe and then if they had some left over the extra oil they just rub it on your your freshly shaved head <laughs> maybe that's why he wanted all the hair gone so that the oil wouldn't just stay right here it would just start kind of running down your your body because the oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit and God doesn't just want the Holy Spirit up here it starts up here he enters in your mind but then he starts getting deeper he starts affecting your heart he starts moving in your heart and he starts talking to you and he starts speaking to you and he starts dwelling with you and so you receive the spirit you receive the oil and this is the one that you can't do yourself you can apply the blood somebody else applies the blood for you and you can choose to take a bath but honestly to receive the spirit you just have to be open you just have to sit back and say okay I'm ready for whatever you have for me I'm ready for whatever oil you want to put on me hmm. let's just do that right now let's just let's just take a moment just to receive from him which means I'm gonna stop talking because <laughs> that's what I've been doing all morning and I'm gonna let the Holy Spirit talk to you if you're here and if and and if you are a believer and you have the Holy Spirit and you pray in the Spirit let's do that let's pray right now in the Spirit let's connect with God if you if you don't pray in the Spirit you just play you pray in English go ahead and pray in English or Spanish <laughs> wherever you connect with God and if you're here today and if you don't have certainty if you have a heavy heart or an anxious heart father we lift that up to you we lift up our anxious hearts to you hmm. we lift up every anxious heart every heavy heart watching online every heavy heart here in this place yeah we desire to receive a prescription from heaven yeah Lord wash our our heads with the blood wash our hands with the blood Wash our minds with the blood. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I'm really sensing that the Holy Spirit is just leaning into that blood thing. <laughs> I don't want you to come up. We're not going to dip any of this stuff on you. But I wonder, I, 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 just, I just think there's a, f a physical response to him. So maybe just right where you're at, if you, if you need the blood of Jesus applied to your heart, to your mind, to your life, maybe just kneel right where you're at. Let's just turn, this, turn your seat into a bit of a, an altar where you can pray. 
I would ask for the prayer team just to be sensitive if someone is praying that maybe God might want you to lay a hand on their back and pray for them. Pray over them. You can stand. You can come down to the front if you like. If you want to pray here at the front. If you want to just pray at your seat. a better word than all the empty claims I've heard upon this earth it speaks righteousness for me it stands in my defense and Jesus it's your blood Yeah, what can wash us? 
and just let's pray let's if you want to be dismissed you can be dismissed if you want to keep praying that's great you can go pick up your kids but father we come before you in the name of jesus because of the blood of jesus thank you that it's never lost its power that it's still available to us today it is it is the prescription for an anxious heart Thank you for the assurance that comes with Jesus. Thank you that we can know that we have eternal life. Not because of what we've done, but because of what you've done. And so we receive it today. We walk out today with confidence, with assurance, with our shoulders back, our head held high. It's not our works. 
is what we have received from you. We've received your blood. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen? Yeah, 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 yeah. That means I agree. Cool. So you agree. You're locked in. (laughs) Good, good. Have a good day. We love you. Be blessed. Go get your kids. We'll see you. See you this Wednesday night. We have prayer right here in this building. We just kind of flow like this the whole time, so you're free to join us.